welcome back once again to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us, then welcome. I am genuinely glad that you're here with us. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. So today we're going to be talking about something that we have touched on in previous episodes. Um, I will say right now that there's going to be some overlap between this episode and episodes 5 and 12 of this podcast. And so I'm not trying to reteach the material, but I am trying to deepen um, the material. We're just going to revisit these subjects and just uh, peel back in another layer. And so it would be helpful perhaps to listen to episodes 5 and 12 uh, in conjunction with this one if you have not already, but I'll do my best just to... Um, also summarize things here. So having said that, what are we talking about today? Well, we are talking about humility and the peril of pride, as the podcast episode name would imply. Now, this is something that the Lord has really been, um, I think, doing in my life uh, in recent weeks, um, especially really a few weeks ago. But uh, just showing me how important humility is, how vital humility is, um, how dangerous pride is. And unfortunately, he, well, it's fortunate that I, I praise the Lord that he showed me this, but it's unfortunate that it's there. He has allowed me to see that there was more pride in my heart than I perhaps realized. Um, so before we get into the actual you know, content, talk more about all that stuff, let's just do some kind of brief, very simple definitions um, of what these words mean. So I've got James 4.6 in front of me. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And again, as I mentioned, I deal specifically with this passage um, in episode five of this podcast, where I get into the Greek words for oppose, Um, and also the word submit, I believe as well, which is from verse uh, seven right after this. But today, look, let's look here. So God opposes the proud. So proud, let's, let's define these terms real quick, proud and humble. So proud, the Greek word for proud is, um, huper eifanas, huper eifanas for those of you who care. Um, however, it's a compound word and that's, that's the word from James, um, for that's translated proud. It's a compound word of huper. Hooper and uh, Fino. So, Hooper is where we get the prefix hyper, H uh, H Y P E R, and it means um, it can mean let's hear in behalf of, for the sake of, over, beyond, uh, more than, more, and so we we get that kind of especially those uh, that latter half of those definitions we get that with our English word uh, prefix hyper we get that's what hyper means it means like above, um, uh, more than, and so the first word is hyper and then fino what does that mean? Fino means to appear to shine to be seen, to seem, or to think. So when you put these words together, what's the idea? It's the idea of, <clears throat> uh, well, I'm just going to actually read it directly here, and I'll put a link to this definition in the show notes. But it says, showing oneself above others, overtopping, conspicuous above others, preeminent, um, with an overweening estimate of one's means or merits, despising others, or even treating them with contempt, haughty. So that's the end of the definition. And so it makes sense. It's like to shine over, to appear over, 
or higher than. And so that's kind of what, that's more like a textbook idea of what pride means. And we kind of get this from passages like Matthew 23. Jesus said um, what I'm about to say multiple times, but Matthew 23, 12 is one of the places that we see this. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so this idea of exalting oneself, lifting oneself up, and that's very much this idea of proud, which is to appear over, to shine over, or again, like this definition said, showing oneself above others. So that's the idea of um, of pride. And uh, we'll, we'll give, you know, before I move on, let me just give you some examples because we hear that and it can be really easy for us to be like, yeah, Let's not be prideful. Let's not do that. Sure am glad I'm not that way. <laughs> but the issue is this. Pride is a shapeshifter. It is so subtle. It is so insidious. And it can take a thousand, really thousands upon thousands of different forms. The most obvious form that it takes is going to be things like arrogance. And sometimes we reduce pride to just meaning arrogance. It's like, well, you know, a prideful person is somebody who is arrogant who is really rude to others and really looks down on them. And that is a form of pride. But I think a lot of times we can comfort ourselves by looking at definitions that don't apply so much to us. We might be like, well, I'm not overtly externally super arrogant or haughty in my interactions with people. Therefore I'm not prideful. It's like, well, let's, let's slow down. Let's just, uh, let's, let's slow down and just ask some, some questions about um, whether or not there, there may or may not be pride in our hearts. And also uh, make some initial observations. So first, let's begin by looking at a parable that Jesus told in Luke 18, 9 through 14. Luke 18, 9 through 14 says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's the end of the passage, and that's another place where we see um, Jesus quoting something very similar to what he said in Matthew twenty-three twelve, which we read a minute ago. So... This parable is an illustration of one who is humble and one who is proud. And obviously in the parable, the one who is prideful is going to be the Pharisee. And the one who is humble is the um, tax collector. So let's do a little bit of a case study here on these two guys to try to identify, well, what made one proud and what made one humble? So we see the Pharisee. What is he doing? It says he goes into the temple to pray. And so the Pharisee is standing over by himself praying. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. From the outset right there, from the from like right at the beginning, he's already comparing himself to other people. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, he says. He goes on to say, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So he starts off by comparing himself to other people and honestly thinking about how he's better than they are. 
how he's better. And then he goes on to, it seems like he kind of cites ways that he is better. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And so he lists off a couple of religious thing that he, religious things that he does. He fasts two times a week, this Pharisee. Um, and it says he gives tithes of all that he gets. So he fasts, he gives tithes. Um, and, you know, so he's doing these religious things, but he's comparing himself to other people and holding himself in other esteem and uh, in, in higher esteem. He's shining over, appearing over, right? Um, the, but uh, in contrast, the tax collector, it says he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He beat his breast and he's um, saying, uh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We don't see him comparing himself to anybody. What's interesting is this tax collector is talking to God, but the, I'm sorry, the uh, this Pharisee, he's talking to God, it would seem. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, but it's all about him comparing himself to other people. But with the humble one, the humble one is not comparing himself to other people. It's him before the Lord. It's just him before the Lord saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, Um because you see, when we compare ourselves to other people, we can always make ourselves feel better. But when we're laid bare before the Lord, the only response is humility. The only response is to lower ourselves and say, Lord, I need your mercy. I fall short of your standard. I'm not going to try to make myself feel better by comparing myself to other people. Um, I'm just going to be honest with where I am with your with regard to you and your word. And so we see one way, um, one manifestation of pride is going to be in the form of comparison. So before we're too quick to say that we don't wrestle with pride, do we compare ourselves with others? Do we think more highly of ourselves in our hearts than others? Do we think things like, and we we necessarily no, wouldn't necessarily put it in these terms, but do we think, man, I'm you know, uh, if if I were in their shoes, I would do X, Y, and Z, and I wouldn't be in that situation, or um, you know, things like that. And uh, are you critical of other people? Uh, these are all, um, I would say, manifestations of pride. Because you look at Jesus, and he hung out with the tax collectors, the Pharisees, and oh, the, well, he hung out with everybody, indeed. But like the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, all these people that were just the rejects of society, and they felt welcomed and embraced by him. That doesn't mean that he condoned their lifestyle. I mean, Jesus came to pay the penalty for sin, and so he's obviously not condoning the sin. And yet, the people still felt welcome with him, and they, you know, heard him. Uh, teach. They heard him uh, preach the gospel. They shared meals together. And so they heard the truth. And again, Jesus did not lower the bar. Um, no, not at all. I mean, in fact, um, one of the first things that Jesus says um, as he begins his public ministry, I'm reading from Matthew 4:17 here. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, it's like just the call to repentance. I mean, that right there is, you know, calling us to repent of our sins, to change the way that we think and therefore change our lives. And so we see that, I mean, there is obviously a call to repentance. Uh, I mean, again, Romans, these are all passages that we've looked at plenty of times. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's see into the verse. But my, my point is just to illustrate that one manifestation of pride can also be um, comparison and belittling other people, not only verbally, but also in our hearts, um, looking down on others, comparing ourselves to others and seeing ourselves as superior. 
thinking about how much better we would handle situations than other people if we were in those same situations. Which, by the way, frankly, we don't know how we would handle a situation that we've never been in before. And to assume that we do is prideful. It just, it, it really is. Um, and so that's one example. That was um, Luke 18, 9 through 14. We see that. But, you know, before we move on, let's also just talk a little bit about humility. Because I want to continue to give examples of pride and humility, but it's also good just to go ahead and have kind of both these definitions on the table because they're they're opposites. So remember James 4, 6 was the verse that we were looking at um, where it says that um, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word humble in that passage is tapenos, uh, tapenos. And this word literally means not rising far from the ground. So we can see how the, the, uh, this is an opposite of exalting. So where Jesus says, uh, as we have already seen here in uh, Luke 18, he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And we we see that those are opposites. Exaltation and being uh, and humility are opposites. So exalt means to lift up and to humble means to lower. Um, as a side note, somebody uh, pointed out to me recently that uh, there is this whole uh, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We might return to this and talk about this in a little bit that um, there are two potential actions and two potential rewards. You'll notice that there are two active actions and two passive uh, actions that happen here. And so so for the one who humble or for, I'm sorry, for the one who exalts himself, he will be humbled. And then it says, well, the one who humbles himself, he will be exalted. And so you can choose. We get to choose. If we exalt ourselves, the reward for um, self-exaltation is to be humbled. But if we humble ourselves, the reward is exaltation. You can think, it really does kind of help to think about it spatially. If we raise ourselves up high, the response is going to be to be laid low. But if we lay ourselves low, the response is going to be to be lifted up. And um, obviously the implication is by the Lord. And we'll talk more about this in a minute, but you know we know that he opposes the proud um, but gives grace to the humble. So, um, yes, yeah, so humility, um, being humble, means not rising far from the ground. And obviously this can have a lot of metaphorical applications. Um, you know, just kind of, because it's not just, the humble person is not just somebody who kind of lays on the ground. That's an image to communicate what humility looks like. So let's just look through a few more verses that talk about pride and humility. And I'm not saying that each of these verses that we look at use the exact same words for pride or humility, um, especially since some of these verses are going to be from the Old Testament and the Old Testament was written in, you know, Hebrew and uh, in a little Aramaic as well. And these are Greek words. So I'm not suggesting that all of these verses um, are using the exact same Greek words that we just kind of looked at a little in depth. However, I am saying that these verses all talk about pride and humility and will give us a fuller picture of what these words mean. So let's look at Philippians 2, 3 through 4. It says, uh, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, 
but also to the interests of others. And so here we have another picture of what pride and humility look like. Again, although the word pride is not used here, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but then it contrasts that and says, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And so with this whole thing of, are we prideful? Do I count others as more significant than myself? Do I look not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others? Or, or do we oftentimes get frustrated when our interests aren't met? Do we oftentimes get frustrated when our plans get rearranged, um, when things don't go the way that we would want them to? Do I get upset when I have to defer to others? And after this passage, I just read Philippians 2, 3 through 4, and Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that's this beautiful passage that uh, describes how Jesus humbled himself and how Jesus really left us a model um, to follow. Um, he is our Savior and he's our example. And we are to follow in his footsteps and follow his example. And he, and Jesus was, I mean, he describes himself as, um, let's see here in Matthew 11, as uh, gentle and lowly in heart. That's Matthew eleven twenty nine. And so Jesus, Jesus was obviously extremely humble. Jesus was not prideful. He left us an example. Let's look at another passage where we can see a little bit about um what humility versus pride looks like. Uh, again, I'm not just giving you uh, this information for it to be like, oh, wow, that's that's good stuff. I'm trying to help us to look at ourselves and to be a little more honest with ourselves with where we may be. Because like I said in the introduction, I came to realize that there was a lot more pride in my heart, um, a lot more comparison to other people, a lot more discontentment when things didn't go the way that I wanted. And a lot of times pride and humility are just most clearly seen in our relationships with the Lord. How do I respond when God does things in a way that I didn't want things to go? The answer to that question reveals whether or not I'm walking in humility or pride. Do I get mad at the Lord? Do I grumble and complain? Do I, um, yeah, just kind of distance myself and my heart from him and get angry at him? And that's pride. It's saying, in essence, Lord, I don't like how you're running my life, and I think I would do a better job. That's what we're saying whenever we're grumbling and complaining. And that's the same lie in the Garden of Eden when the serpent essentially said to Adam and Eve, the Lord is holding out on you, and you need to take matters into your own hands. You got, that's, if you boil down what the enemy said to Adam and Eve in the Garden, that's the idea. The Lord is holding out on you. He does not have your best interest at heart, and you need to take matters into your own hands. And you can go read about that in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And uh, yeah, spoiler, uh, he was he was lying to them, <laughs> and so things did not go well. Uh, but um, moving on, here's another passage, Luke fourteen seven through eleven says, "Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited." By him, And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And that's the end of the passage. So again, uh, we hear, we've heard that same phrase used by Jesus in multiple places, um, or, or something very, very similar. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, with slight variation, but very much the same thing. This is the third time 
we've read this verse uh, more or less, the statement in a, in a different place. And so the fact that the Lord repeated this so many times shows how central this is. It was a repeated thing in his teaching. It was very, very important. And like I said, it's almost like uh, my my friend that I mentioned earlier, my, my mentor pointed out how it's almost like a, it's a law. You know, okay, if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. If we humble ourselves, we will be exalted. But here is Jesus gave a parable. And so it's the image of here's a wedding feast and there are different seats. There's places of honor. And so he says that if you go and you take a, um, a uh, uh, sit down in a place of honor, it's going to, you're going to be humbled. You just exalted yourself by putting yourself in the seat of honor, but you're going to be humbled by being told to, to move down because that seat was for somebody else. But if you stand over and take the lowest seat, then you're going to be exalted. And so it's an image here. It's a picture of what it looks like for us to humble ourselves and exalt ourselves. And so practically for us, do we, do we struggle to be in the stop, uh, spotlight? How do we respond when other people get the attention that we feel like we deserve? How do we respond when others are honored and we are not? How do we respond? These are the questions that we ask. Do we try to put the spotlight back on ourselves? Do we try to take that honor? Do we try to steal that from them, make ourselves look better? These are all questions to ask. Or are we content taking the low seat? Or are we content rejoicing with those who rejoice and not trying to shine the spotlight on ourselves? And so I hope that all of this has kind of helped paint a little fuller picture of pride and humility. And we could sit here and um, give you know hundreds more examples of what this looks like. Um, however, I'm just trying to help us to look in the mirror a little bit and to uh, be honest with ourselves. Um, one other verse I want to look at. This one's actually from the Old Testament, and then we will perhaps uh, transition a little bit. It says um, in Proverbs 27, 2, it says, let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Do you praise yourself? Again, do you put the spotlight on yourself? Um, or how about this one in the chapter before that in Proverbs 26, 12, it says, do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Are you wise in your own eyes? And you're not, not necessarily, maybe you don't even say it out loud, but maybe in your heart. How do you view yourself? And I'm not talking about beating yourself up or thinking low of yourself, but we got to be careful. We've got to be really, really careful with um, thinking about how smart we are, how intelligent we are, and, uh, and, and all of these sorts of things. So before moving on, let me just share with you some personal um, examples of places where I've seen pride in my own heart and my own life. And I share these, so, again, to hopefully, um, just because I'm, I, I believe there are people who might be able to relate to these things. And just to see that these things are pride. And, um, and the Lord doesn't show us these things to beat us up, but to set us free. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Because we, we've got to humble ourselves before the Lord. We need his help so bad. So here are just a couple of simple examples that you know we might be able to relate to. That the Lord has shown me in my own heart that um, I'm doing my best to repent of and leave behind and just grow. So one is, I've it's so easy. I've been very, at points, hyper-focused on how a situation affects me and how I feel about it. In other words, just being self-centered, not being so concerned about how it affects other people, but X, Y, or Z happened, and this is how I feel about it. 
It's like, well, that's just being self-centered and prideful. Um, or there have been times where I've gotten defensive whenever I have felt disrespected, uh, which uh, is, is I would say, a, uh, a manifestation of pride as well. Um, there have been times when I haven't been forgiving to others, and I've just kind of held that in my heart, and that's, that's not humble at all. That's very prideful. Um, grumbling about uh, situations in life that I wanted to be different, um, kind of like the Israelites in the wilderness. And I could cite more examples of this, of course, um, and those are all pretty general, um, but I want them to be general because I want you guys to be able to re- relate to these, if so. And so, I mean, just <clears throat> I hope that that's been kind of helpful for you to see. It's like, let's not just assume that we've got this thing knocked out. And one more quick note um, before moving on. Let me just read a couple of verses here that shed some really important light on it and will actually serve as a good transition. Um, Proverbs 18.2, I'm sorry, 18.12, 18.12 says, Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. So we see that uh, uh, pride leads to destruction. Uh, however, I want you to notice that it says a man's heart is haughty. Not necessarily his actions, but his heart. That's something internal. Um, See something very similar in Proverbs 16, 18. It says pride goes before destruction, very similar, and a haughty spirit before a fall. So it says a haughty spirit. Again, we're talking about something internal here. Um, Proverbs 21, 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. And so, again, we have... There's a reference to a proud heart there, haughty eyes and a proud heart. And so we have, you know, lots of passages here that um, can illustrate how pride is not just an external thing, but it's an internal thing. And so we can look as humble as can be on the outside. We really can. We can look super, super humble, but just because we look humble doesn't mean we are humble. The question is, what's going on in our hearts? What's really going on in there? And that's, you know, sometimes we don't we don't want to answer that question. We want to, you know, justify ourselves and all this, but we don't want to, um, we don't want to answer the question of what's actually in our hearts because we don't like um, what we see sometimes. Uh, but I'll say one of the best ways to humble ourselves practically is to not lie about what we see in our hearts, but instead come before the Lord and just cry out to him and say, Lord... I see X, Y, or Z in my heart, and I know it doesn't please you, and I beg you for your help. That's what it looks like to humble yourself. Instead of justifying it, instead of ignoring it, or anything like that, instead of comparing yourself to somebody else and saying, well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so, but just to say, Lord, this is in my heart. Just like that tax collector, he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's part of what it looks like to be humble. That's an example of what it would look like. Um... So now let's take a look at how the Lord responds to, to pride and humility. Proverbs 16.5 says, Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. And there again, we see arrogant in heart as an internal thing. But it says such a person is an abomination to the Lord. Pride is abominable. And so I didn't actually, you know, I didn't even know what the English word abomination meant, let alone the Greek word. And just because, I don't know, I, I just heard it so many times, I've never looked it up, and I just thought, oh yeah, abomination, something abominable. I, I don't know. 
So I decided to look up the word since I didn't know what it means. And the word translation translated as uh, abomination there can mean a disgusting thing. And it can be used like in a ritual sense, kind of like, you know, in, in the uh, um, law of Moses regarding unclean food. And it can also be used in an ethical sense describing wickedness, but it means a disgusting thing. And so I don't believe it would be going beyond the bounds of what this scripture is saying to, to sum it up and say, God finds pride disgusting, like repulsive. Like it, it's, it's repulsive. Pride says in its heart that we don't need anything, that we don't need God, that we are self-sufficient, that we know it's best for us, that we don't need to depend on anybody, that if we could just be in total control, we would make things better than they are and that our way is the best. That's what pride says. And it says that that sort of thing is just, is abominable. It's repulsive. Um, Psalm 138.6 says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. So, so it says he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. That's very, um, it's very important for us to understand. Um, see another scripture here because there, there's so many. Um, Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen says, "For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite." And so we see the Lord is very close in a very special way to the lowly, to the humble, his eye is on them. Now, Isaiah 66, 1 through 2 says, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, into the verse, and notice again, contrite in spirit. It's an internal, it's a posture of the heart. And so we really could keep going. And because this is a repeated theme in the Bible, it is all over the place. In fact, my mentor says, he says, learning humility is like first grade in the Christian walk. And it's like, we can't go further until we have learned that. And I'm like, man, only first grade. (laughs) Oh man, I'm still in first grade. And so uh, spiritually speaking, But uh, we could just sum up everything we've been talking about with these verses about how the Lord feels about it with some of the verses we've already said already, which would be like Matthew 23, 12, again, which says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Or um, God, uh, uh, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we see that he resists the proud. He opposes the proud. This is so important for us to understand very, very important. And in fact, um, many times the lack of progress we see in our lives spiritually or even circumstantially could be connected to the fact that we're refusing to humble ourselves. We're refusing to humble ourselves before the Lord and, um, and that's, that's hindering progress. In fact, um, uh, it's for those of you who have heard episode five, you'll remember that I talk about the word antitasso, which is uh, the word that's translated as opposes in James 4, 6. And that word means to range in battle against or to oppose oneself, to resist. And so the passage says that this is the posture that the Lord takes towards the proud. Um, and I want to talk about how merciful 
and how loving and how patient and how quick to respond the Lord is um, to even just the smallest amount of humility. Um, but before I do that, I want to talk a little bit about the word grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Of course, when we hear the word grace, we think, oh, that means God's unmerited favor. And I'm like, okay, we just replaced one word, grace, that we don't really know the definition of with two words, unmerited favor, that we don't really use either. And so that's not really a helpful definition, in my opinion. But if you were to, to look up the definition for grace... It is, um, and there's just, it's, it's a long definition. And, uh, part of the reason why that is, is because depending on the context, it has kind of different nuances as to what exactly, um, it can mean. And so it's, it's a very, um, rich term, which is wonderful, but we just have to do our homework to make sure, okay, in the context that I'm looking at right now, am I, am I understanding it correctly? And so I'd like to draw a distinction here. In fact, let me go to Ephesians 2, famous passage about us being, Born again, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so here we're talking about saving grace. Um, we're talking, and it's contrasted with um, our own doing, it's contrasted with the result of works. So no, it's the gift of God. It's the gift of grace. Our salvation is a gift from God. Um, we are saved by grace through faith. And um, we, we access that grace through faith. So we see that this is, okay, it's, it's a gift. It's something, we see that grace is something that is given, that is not deserved. It's not something we can brag about. It's not the result of works. It's not our own doing. And so we get kind of the picture of what grace is there. But I'd like to draw a distinction between what we could call saving grace and sustaining grace. Saving grace is the grace by which we're born again. Every single born-again person has this grace of God on their lives because it has to do with their salvation. This is saving grace. However, there is another, um, I'm not going to say type of grace because I, I don't feel comfortable wording it that way, but another application of grace, and we could call it sustaining grace. And we see Paul describing this in places like um, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, the famous passage about his... Um, uh, his thorn in the flesh. And so it says in verses uh, 12 or chapter 12, verses seven through 10, Paul said, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, um, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Um, let's pause there for one second. That was verse seven. Notice how he says at the beginning and the end to keep me from becoming conceited. A big purpose of this thorn in his flesh was to keep him humble to keep him from being prideful, to keep him from becoming conceited. He says it twice in one verse. Um, wouldn't it be good if we perhaps viewed certain things in our own life the same way to realize, oh, this is meant to humble me. So anyways, uh, quoting, resuming in verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that is the end of the passage. So here, God's grace is connected to power. Did you notice that? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so this is sustaining grace. Paul is saying, Lord, please, whatever this circumstance was, we don't know for certain what the thorn in the flesh was, but Paul was praying that the Lord would remove it. And instead of re removing it, God gave him the power to be able to endure it. And so this thing kept him humble. Like Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. 
He says, uh, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so there's this connection here with his grace and with his power. So grace and power, this sustaining grace, this empowering. And for any of us who have been walking with the Lord any length of time at all, we realize we need power. It's like, yes, there are plenty. We, we know we're saved. We know we're born again. Those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, that our eternity is secure in him. And when we die, we will be with the Lord. Um, and, you know, all that. We understand that. And we understand that we will, you know, be with him a new creation when he comes and um, reigns on the earth. And every we, we get that. But what about the here and now? What about the power we need now to live the Christian life? Because there's a lot of, and we've probably all been able to relate to this, where it's like we we know our eternity is secure, but we feel powerless now. We know our eternity is secure, but we're walking in defeat now. And this just doesn't seem to add up because we have the Holy Spirit. But what we need is we need power. We need power. And if we want power, we have to humble ourselves before the Lord. Now, let me be clear about something really quickly, though. The Holy Spirit is going to be the source of power in the Christian life. I mean, Paul says in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so he's going to be the source of power. However, the scriptures are clear um, You know, from Ephesians. Uh, you know, I'll go there right now. Ephesians 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4. I'm going to say Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.30, which says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So it's clear that we can grieve the Spirit. And so how are we going to do this? You do it through sin. Sin is how you grieve the Spirit, and pride is, um, is absolutely a sin. In fact, pride is the sin that leads to a lot of other sins, really. And so, um, so yes, we, we need the power. We need to be walking by the Spirit. We need His um, uh, His power to be flowing through us to be able to live the Christian life. But in order to be walking in that power, which is readily available and accessible, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves because of verses that we've already seen. We have to be humble because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so this is kind of what we're talking about with uh, sustaining grace. That one of the best things that can happen to us is for us to be humbled. Because when we're humbled, then God's grace, his power just flows in an incredible way um, through us. And we find ourselves being able to say um, no to sin and yes to righteousness. In fact, um, let me um, read Titus 2. 11 through 14 here, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And that's the end of the quote. But it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, in other words, to say no to sin, And then it says, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Not just the future age, but the present age. To say no to sin and yes to righteousness. We need power. We need supernatural power to be able to do that. And that comes as we humble ourselves before the Lord. And no other way, because he opposes the proud, because grace the humble. Paul said back in that verse, he where Jesus says um, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
So yes, his grace is sufficient for us. But remember, he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And so if we're walking in pride, we are hindering the flow of that all-sufficient grace in our lives. And we're trying to do things in our own power. So if we want that all-sufficient grace that Paul is describing here, that he's quoting that the Lord said to him, then we need to humble ourselves. We got to humble ourselves before him. Now, one thing I do want to make clear really quickly when I've been making this distinction about saving and sustaining grace, um, by sustaining, I haven't meant uh, as in like maintaining our salvation. Like we are saved in an instant and then our sal- then we basically have to stay humble in order to sustain uh, in that or to remain in that state. Now, that's not what I'm saying at all. I mean, sustaining as, as in um, we just kind of experience the power that is going to carry us through because our, our salvation is secure. I mean, Hebrews, you know, in Hebrews 13, 5, in the second half of the verse, um, it says, uh, the, the Lord says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then three chapters earlier in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10 um, 19 through 22, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so what is it that allows us to enter the holy places? What gives us confidence to enter the holy places? This is by the blood of Jesus. This is the blood of Jesus. And so I, this, when I'm talking about sustaining grace, I'm not even talking about your salvation at that point. I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm not talking about any of that. We've touched on this in other episodes. I'm just talking about the grace and power that we need to live the Christian life. The power that we need, that we all feel um, uh, that we need, that we can tell that I, I need power to be able to do what God has called me to do. But returning to what we were talking about, Andrew Murray said, and I quote, just as water ever seeks and fills the lowest place. So the moment God finds you abased and empty, his glory and power flow in. It's an amazing quote. It's incredible. Pride will destroy everything. It'll hinder the flow of God's grace in our lives and he will actively oppose us. And so we just have to humble ourselves. We have to repent. We have to be careful. However, there is a quick note I want to make about humility so that there's not a misunderstanding here. Humility is not self-destruction, nor is it self-depreciation. Um, I want to really clarify that to make, okay, it's like, no, beating yourself up, and, and I've touched on this some of this episode already, but beating yourself up, really thinking poorly of yourself, all that, that's not humility. In fact, I'd point out with the examples of self-depreciation and self-destruction, who's still in view there? It's still the self, self-depreciation, self-destruction. And so really those things could actually be a an altered form of pride, potentially, uh, depending on the circumstance. But my, my point is just that when I say being humble, that's not what I mean. I do mean taking our sins seriously. I do mean understanding... Um, that we need to seek and obey the Lord's will and that we need to surrender our wills to his. I do mean stuff like that, but I don't mean self-destruction. In fact, uh, a quote by C.S. Lewis is really, really helpful here. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. That's a phenomenal point. That is well said. That's so concise. And that's better than I could say it. 
So humility is not to reduce our value. The Lord uh, bought us with his precious blood. He paid an incredibly high price for us. He loves us. He redeemed us. Obviously, the Lord places huge value on us, and we should not diminish that value. So I just wanted to clarify that because I think that there's probably been a lot of misunderstandings about what humility looks like because um, humility doesn't mean always saying yes. It doesn't mean um, necessarily uh, being a doormat or letting yourself be taken advantage of or anything like that. That's a misunderstanding um, of what humility looks like. So I just wanted to take a moment and clarify that. Like I said, C.S. Lewis um, puts it very concisely and very, very well in the, the quote that I just read. So that leads us to this place where it's like, okay, all that's really, really good, but how do I truly discern where I am? Well, you discover it, you discern it by being humble. And what I mean is this, you start by asking the Lord, saying, Lord, if there's some pride in my life, please show it to me so that I can repent of it. Please show me if there's some area of pride, because I know that you oppose the proud, but give grace to the humble, and Lord, I don't want to do anything to interfere with the flow of your grace into my life, because I desperately need your power each and every day, Lord, and so please show me. And so you ask him for starters. And then the next step um, is to do something else that's humble, and that is to ask somebody who is close to you. It could be your spouse, could be a close friend, um, but it just needs to be somebody who knows you well and will tell you the truth. And to say, listen, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get defensive, but please, where do you see pride in my life? And then you need to keep your word and to receive it humbly. But as we go through such a process, I totally believe that the Lord will open our eyes um, and show us this. And um, and don't rule out the second step. A lot of times we just want to be like, okay, it's just us and the Lord. I want to go before the Lord. I'm going to ask him to show me where the pride is. That's good. However, refusing to ask somebody else where they see pride in your life is prideful because it's like, okay, I'll be, I'll be transparent and vulnerable before the Lord, but I don't want to do it in front of another person. That's still pride. And so it's like, let's just be honest. Let's be, let's lower ourselves. Let's give somebody else the opportunity and the right to speak into our lives for our own good. Because the Lord oftentimes works through people and search the scriptures. I mean, that is a major way that the Lord is going to work in your life is through the people that he's put around you. And so just, um, I would encourage you to do that for those of you who are um, serious about that, who really want to grow uh, and, um, and humble yourself. One other thing that I'm going to do and just kind of suggest to you and put in front of you as an option when you're thinking of how to humble yourself is going to be the idea of fasting. And so instead of going through a whole explanation about fasting and how that functions with humility and pride, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put an article in the description of this episode that um, my mentor gave to me that is a really, uh, really helpful, um, wonderful article when it comes to explaining how uh, fasting can be utilized as a means of humbling ourselves. And um, so I just encourage you to take a look at that article and I will just let it speak for itself. So in closing, let's just be diligent to humble ourselves and to seek to root out all the pride in our hearts. It's a worthy endeavor. Um, it's, it's actually a crucial endeavor. And just to kind of look at our lives through the lens of humility, to each and every circumstance walk into a situation and say, what does it look like to be humble? in this situation. How can I humble myself here? And even realize that, you know, some of the circumstances of your life may be there as a means to humble you. In fact, one thing I've um, said out loud a few times uh, in the not too distant past would be, this is meant to humble me. 
I would say that out loud about a situation that I believe, okay, this situation right here is meant to humble me. And again, disclaimer, that doesn't mean I'm suggesting that you stay in bad situations. Um, you should definitely, um, you should have somebody in your life that you can talk to about the circumstances in your life and hear good godly feedback as to how you should be responding. And so I'm just speaking in general terms right now, but just having this paradigm of, okay, this is meant to humble me. How can I be humble in this situation? And just thinking in terms like that. But listen, guys, I believe that when we humble ourselves, that the Lord uh, responds to that quickly. I believe that um, that even the smallest step in the right direction, that the Lord will honor that. And so just looking at um, a verse that we've already looked at uh, today, which is Psalm 138.6, it says, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. It says he regards the lowly. And uh, obviously, we've already seen that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so, um, I just, I just believe that you know, if you choose to humble yourself before the Lord, that you will see Him act, that you will see Him work. And I can't say exactly what that would look like, but I do believe that you will see Him um, honor that humility. So, in closing, um, I want to just very quickly um, look at our perfect example of humility, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read um, Philippians 2, uh, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, in that uh, in that wonderful um passage about the Lord, we see even what we've been talking about, that whoever humbles himself will be exalted because it says, uh, you know, he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. Uh, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then it says what? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. But we see that same principle work. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so let's just be really diligent. Let's follow the Lord. Let's, um, Follow the example that he set for us. Let's walk in the footsteps that he's already um, trod for us. So, as always, I hope that this was encouraging, challenging, motivating, all that stuff. And um, that, uh, that the Lord has uh, honored this time and used it as a motivator in your life uh, to humble yourself. Because, guys, we got to do it. Humble ourselves before the Lord. That's what we need to do. Um, but as always, I hope that you're all doing well. God bless you. Until next time.